Good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you grew up watching the original Star Trek TV show? Any hands going up? Okay. This was the one with Captain Kirk and Spock and Scotty and Chekhov and Sulu and Uhura, right? This TV show first aired in 1966 and had some minimal success. But it was when the show began broadcasting in reruns in the 1970s, that's when it became really popular. I can remember going home from school and watching TV, and the first show that came on right after we got home was Star Trek. My brother and I watched it every day, and I've probably seen every episode many times throughout my lifetime. But the phenomenon of Star Trek didn't end there. It continued on with Star Trek the Next Generation, and then Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and then Star Trek Voyager, and finally Star Trek Enterprise. Each of these Star Trek TV series had a different cast. In addition to the five different Star Trek television series, there have been 13 feature films based on one or another of these different series. There's also a Star Trek animated series. The Guinness Book of World Records states that the original Star Trek TV show has spawned more spin-offs than any television show in history. Star Trek has been called one of the most culturally influential television shows and perhaps the most influential science fiction television series ever. In fact, in 1976, NASA named the first space shuttle orbiter Enterprise after the mothership of the original Star Trek. There are scientists and engineers who say that they were influenced to go into their chosen professions by watching Star Trek as children. As much impact as Star Trek has had in our culture, there is another Star Trek that has had even more influence in our world. And that is the Star Trek and our gospel reading for this morning. Because today, we celebrate Epiphany. Epiphany is celebrated 12 days after Christmas on January 6th. That was Friday. So Epiphany Sunday is always the Sunday that's closest to that date. And it's the time when Christians remember the wise men or the magi who came to visit Jesus. Epiphany is also when some churches remember when Christ was baptized and started to teach people about God. Epiphany literally means revelation. And both the visit of the wise men and Jesus' baptism are very important times when Jesus was revealed to be very important. For this morning, since it's just two days after Epiphany and 14 days after Christmas, we're going to look at the visit of the Magi and see what we can learn from their original Star Trek many years ago as they boldly went where no men had gone before. Please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, and please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. This morning we will be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it begins on page 681. Matthew 2, reading in Jesus' name. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. (coughs) Lord, this is a very familiar story to most of us. So I ask that you would prepare our hearts to hear it once again. Lord, that you would open up our eyes to maybe see it in a new light today. And that as always, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim, can you do me a favor and just close those doors? The, the sound for, travels down quite a bit for the children's church, so it just helps them a little bit. So as we look at this story, it's a, it's a very familiar story to most of us. We hear it read every year at our Christmas Eve service, and I end up preaching from it at least every other year. So while there may not be anything earth-shattering or that might make you go, wow, I've never heard that before, there are definitely some things we can learn from this passage that will apply to us today. The first thing is I find it interesting that Matthew was the only gospel writer to record this visit from the Magi. So why does Matthew give us this story while the other gospel writers simply left it out of their gospels? Well, some scholars say that Matthew was writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And in his gospel, he emphasizes the fulfillment of certain prophecies and events that would have more meaning to a Jewish audience. And this story especially, as it talks about them searching for the king of the Jews, and later on with Herod's proclamation to kill all the boys in Bethlehem two years and younger, well, they feel that this story would have resonated with the Jewish audience, and that's why Matthew included it. But it's really just speculation on their part. We don't know why Matthew decided to include this in his gospel. All we know is that this passage is part of God's holy inspired word, and being part of God's word, it's useful to us for either teaching, rebuking, correcting, or training in righteousness. So for this morning, why don't we look at what God's Word has to tell us and see how the Lord wants to use this passage to encourage us to better follow Him in this new year. Now there's a lot of tradition and a lot of folklore surrounding these, these magi or these wise men, as they're called today. One of the traditions that's been spread around is that each one was a king. Right? We sing the Christmas carol, what? We three 
kings of Orient are. These supposed kings have even been given names in the folklore. They've been called Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Many believe the tradition of them being kings comes from a loose reading of Psalm 72, verses 10 through 11. We read this together this morning. It says this, The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. Many scholars believe that these verses actually look forward to this visit from the Magi. Another tradition holds that they were supposedly three of them, and they supposedly represent the whole of the human race, one being more Semitic in appearance, one representing all the white races, and the other representing the black races. And I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but in many of the the nativity scenes, they will actually have these three men with different color faces to represent that idea. So were these men actually kings? Well, the word that Matthew was inspired to use here to talk about them does not refer to kings. The Greek word that's used here is the word magoi, and it was a general term for learned men, wise men, those who studied the skies and the stars who were interested in dreams and astrology and all kinds of obscure wisdom. So these were actually very learned men who studied the skies and the stars and looked for meaning there in what they saw. But these magi also seem to know about Israel's scriptures. And they specifically knew about prophecies related to a coming Messiah, a long-awaited king who would come one day and save Israel. So how might they have known about these old prophecies from the Hebrews? Before we answer that question, let's explore where these magi might have come from, right? The hymn we sing says, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we we traverse afar, right? Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Following yonder star, okay. So where did they originally come from? And did they really traverse over fields and past fountains and over moors and mountains as they followed that star in the distance? Did they come from the Orient, as the song states, or did they come, as many scholars believe, from a more Middle Eastern area? I believe that answering that question, that the question, well, actually the first question of how they knew about the Hebrew prophecies might actually help us to learn where they began their journey from. If you remember your Old Testament history, you'll remember that the Babylonians came in and conquered Israel. And we're told in the first chapter of Daniel that the Babylonians carried off some of the more promising young men there. One of them was this young man named Daniel. A little while later, another empire came along and conquered the Babylonians. This empire was known as the Medo-Persian Empire. So while the Jews were in captivity in Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire came into power and Daniel ended up serving in this Medo-Persian court. And in that court, Daniel served with some men who were part of a a religious tribe of the Medes that were known as, guess what they were called? The Magi. They were called the Magi. So Daniel had contact with Magi way back 
over 500 years before Christ was ever born. And as we read through the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel actually interacts with these magi, spends time with them, working with them, but doing things through the power of God that the magi simply couldn't do. So because Daniel was able to do things through the power of God, the king made Daniel, what? The chief over all the magi. He was the head man over all the wise men there. Now don't you think that Daniel, being a good Jewish man who worshipped the God of Israel, don't you think that he would have used his position and taken this opportunity, being the head magi, to share with the others about the one true God? I think he did. And I think that some of that sharing had to include some of the prophecies concerning this promised Messiah who was to come. And if those teachings had then been handed down through the years to the future generations of the Magi, it would seem that these wise men or Magi probably then came from the area of the Babylonian and Persian empires. And most scholars agree that these empires were not in the Orient as we know it today, but were in the areas of modern-day Iran and Iraq, which are still east of Bethlehem and Jerusalem, which is exactly where Matthew tells us they came from, from the east. Okay, so these magi, well, they probably weren't kings and probably didn't come from the Orient. What other traditions do we have about these magi from the east? Well, there's this whole idea about there being three of them. The scriptures don't tell us how many magi came. Matthew simply records that there were magi who came. In all of your nativity scenes, how many wise men are there? There's three. Everyone that I see has three. And that's fine, because we're not told how many there are. The notion of there being three of them comes from the fact that they brought three gifts, gold, incense, and myrrh, each one presenting a gift. And that makes sense. But could it have been just two magi bringing three gifts? Maybe. Could it have been an entire entourage of people, including these magi, who showed up in Jerusalem that day? We don't really know. It may very well have just been three of them, as the tradition tells us. But I, wanna, I want you to think about this for a second. If there were simply three men, as the tradition holds, what kind of impact would they have made in the city as they began to ask around about this new king being born? If they asked some people in the market or on the street about this new king, how long do, do you think it would have taken for that information to get all the way back to King Herod? I think it would have taken a long time. But if they had been traveling in some type of entourage with others with them and made a procession into town, I think the king might have known about it much sooner. We don't know. We don't know if there were three of them or if they traveled in a large group. But we do know that the news eventually got to Herod about these men who were asking about this new king being born. And we're told by Matthew that Herod was disturbed at this and all Jerusalem with him. Now I can understand why Herod would be disturbed about this, right? He was the current king and any other king being born would be a direct threat to his throne. But why were the people of Israel concerned about this? Why, why were the people of Jerusalem disturbed by this news? Well, they were disturbed because Herod was a tyrant. History tells us that he ruled 
with an iron fist, and anyone who was thought to be a threat to his throne was simply done away with. History tells us that he had had three of his own sons killed because he thought they were plotting to overthrow him. He supposedly had a favorite wife among his ten wives named Mary Amne, and he told his closest advisors two different times that if he didn't return from some campaign he was on, that she was to be put to death because he didn't want to ever think of her being with another man. This is the kind of man Herod was. So if the king, if Herod was upset about this baby being born as the supposed king of the Jews, well, it was going to affect the entire city because the people of the city didn't know how their king was going to react. So what do we see Herod do? He called together the chief priests and, and the wise men of the day, the teachers of the law of the Israelites, and he asked them, he asked them about this prophecy. Could this be true? And if so, where was this king to be born? Does it say anything about that? And his religious leaders told him about the prophecy of the child to be born in Bethlehem from the book of Micah. And I find it really interesting in verse 7 that Herod then called in the Magi secretly without all of his other religious leaders around. And he talked to them about this. And he, he, he didn't want his other people around because he had ulterior motives, right? He wanted to know what was going on so he could get rid of another threat to his throne. So he asked the Magi exactly when that star had appeared in the sky that had guided them. And then he sent them to Bethlehem to find this child, and he told them, hey, as soon as you find him, send word back to me so that I can come and worship him as well. Well, we know that that wasn't Herod's intention at all. But we're told by Matthew that the Magi left Herod and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place that the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, when they realized that their journey was over, it says they were overjoyed. They had found the one they had set out to see. Then Matthew tells us in verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and what did they do? They bowed down and worshipped him. First thing I want you to notice is that they came to a house. Not a stable, not a barn, not a, not a cave, but a house. And Matthew is very explicit with the word that he used here in the original language. It means house. So how much time had passed between Jesus' actual birth and the arrival of the Magi? Well, we're not sure, but they weren't in that stable anymore on the night of his birth. So I think we can say with some certainty that the Magi didn't arrive at the manger scene with the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. I know that messes up all of our manger scenes. But in some ways, if you want to be true to the gospel and you want to set up your manger scene, set up the manger here and then maybe have the Magi over on another shelf over here somewhere and they're on their way. But they're not getting there yet. And this house may have been a sight that these Magi weren't really prepared for. Right? They had traveled hundreds of miles to see a newborn king, right? expecting to find him in the lap of luxury, probably in the palace, but that's where kings should be born, right? But instead, they wind up at the peasant home 
of a lowly Jewish family. Now, was this Joseph's actual house? Probably not, because he was living in Nazareth at this time. Did it maybe belong to some distant relatives of his who now had room for he and Mary and the baby now that the census had been taken and everyone else had left? We're never told. But this was probably not what the Magi were expecting to see. And I've always wondered why they weren't disappointed when they finally found Jesus. Because after all, he didn't look like a king. His home didn't look like a castle. He didn't have a scepter in his hand. He didn't command any armies or give any speeches. He didn't pass any laws. At this time, he probably still couldn't walk or talk. So no royal decrees were coming from his lips. There was nothing to make you think that this baby was a king. To the outward eye, he was nothing but a peasant child born in poverty. But this passage shows a tremendous amount about their faith in God because we're told that when they saw the mother and the child, they bowed down and worshipped him. You see, to the Magi, he was a king. He was the one who had been prophesied about. He is the one they had traveled so far to see. And this, this one lying there in the cradle or in his mother's arms, we're not told. He had more royalty in his little body than Herod had in his fine palace. Somehow these ones who had traveled so far, they saw beyond the present and into the future. And in deep faith, they bowed down and worshipped him. That phrase, bowed down and worship, literally means to, to kiss toward and to intensely adore. They somehow knew that this little child would one day rule the world and they weren't ashamed to fall on their faces before him. Think about the contrast we see in this story. We read earlier that the Magi met King Herod, but we're not told anywhere that they made any effort to bow down and worship him. But when they finally find this baby, King Jesus, these educated and extremely intelligent men fall on their faces before him. To this baby, they gave the honor that's due a king. In fact, everything that Herod craved but never got, this baby received. These magi then presented their gifts, these gifts that they had brought with them all the way from the east. And what gifts did they give to a newborn baby? Did they bring him a, a rattle of some kind or some kind of baby toys? Maybe a nice soft blanket for Mary to snuggle her baby up in? Had they brought jars of, of baby food from the east? No. No, they brought some very unusual gifts to give to a newborn baby. They brought gold and incense and myrrh. Not the typical baby shower gifts you would expect to be given. Gold is one of the rarest and most expensive of metals, and it represented the wealth and the power of a king. Incense, or as some translations say frankincense, was used in the temple worship of Almighty God, and it represents this baby's deity. He is truly God born in a human body. Then there's the myrrh. Well, myrrh is a, is a kind of perfume that's made from the leaves of a rose. And after a person died, myrrh was used to anoint the body and prepare it for burial. 
In fact, John 19, verse 39 tells us that after Jesus died, his body was wrapped in linen along with 75 pounds of myrrh and other spices. So this gift of myrrh then looks forward to this baby's future suffering and death. The gold pointed to his majesty, for he is the king. Frankincense pointed to his deity, for he is God. Myrrh pointed to his humanity, for he was destined to suffer and die for all of mankind. Now, you think the Magi understood all this when they were presenting these gifts? We don't know. My assumption would be they probably didn't. But God had arranged it so that their gifts to this king in the cradle would point us to who Jesus really is and why he came. And we don't know how much time they spent there at the house. They may have only been there a few hours. They may have stayed a few days. The text doesn't tell us. What it does tell us is that the Lord had told them in a dream to not go back to Herod and tell him about this. So they left and went back to their homeland by another route. So what can we, as Christians in 2023, learn from this story today? <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, we can learn that God can reach you wherever you are in life. These magi had come from the east. They were quite a ways from Bethlehem. But God found them in the midst of their everyday lives, and he shined a light into their lives that they knew had to be from God. So you don't have to be doing anything spectacular or even special or even, even religious for God to find you and work in your life, and work through you. You just need to be seeking Him and to be open to His presence in your life. We can also learn how to find our way when we don't necessarily know where we're going. And I'm not talking about following a star in the sky. I'm referring to the time that they were in Jerusalem, probably thinking that was where the baby would be, right? A king, Jewish king, would be born in Jerusalem. So how then did they know to go to Bethlehem? How'd they know? The scriptures told them that. It's really interesting that the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they knew the scriptures, they knew the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, but you know what? They weren't looking for him at all. They weren't anticipating his arrival. These magi had traveled hundreds of miles, but those who should have been the first ones there, because they, they lived the closest and they had the scriptures to guide them. They didn't even show up. They didn't even know that Jesus had been born. And these magi, they didn't know where to find Jesus. But they were the ones who were searching for him. And so God led them there. We need to be the ones as well who are daily searching for the Lord. And the best place that we can find direction for our lives, the best place where we can find the Lord himself, is right here in the scriptures, in God's holy word the Bible. That's how the Magi found their way to Jesus. This is how we find our way to God as well. And I want you to notice the first thing they did when they found the house and the baby Jesus. They gave themselves in worship first before they gave him their gifts. They bowed down and worshiped him and then they opened their treasures. To me, that tells me that, that God wants our lives he wants our hearts before He wants our gifts. 
So I ask you today, have you ever surrendered yourself and submitted yourself totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? If not, do it today because it is the best gift you can ever give to Jesus. These wise men gave what they had to give. They might not have understood the significance of the gifts that they gave, but they gave Jesus what they had to give. And we are called to do the same. We don't know how the Lord might use what we give to Him, whether it be our time, or our talents, or our resources, or even ourselves. But we are called to give to Christ what we have, and then to trust Him to use what we give Him for His purposes and for His glory. I think another thing we can learn from these wise men, these magi from the East, is that if the magi can find Jesus, anyone can. Think of how many barriers they had to cross to find Jesus. There was a, a culture barrier, definitely a, a distance barrier. Could have even been a language barrier, and a racial barrier, or a religious barrier, not to mention a hostile king and some very indifferent religious leaders. It wasn't easy for them to find Jesus. But they did. They followed the way the Lord led, and they found him. And if they can find Jesus, then you and anyone else in your life can find Jesus as well. If God can use a star to reach these magi, he can use anything to reach you or anyone else in your life. So don't be surprised at what God might use this year to get your attention. God is infinitely creative in the ways that he breaks through to people who seem to be far away from him. Yeah, he can use a star, but he can use a book. He could use a movie. He could use a TV show. He could use a, a conversation. He could use a song, even a chance comment from someone. So if God can reach the wise men, he can reach anybody. Lastly, these were men who were willing to take action. These guys made a very long journey that forever changed their lives. They put commitment to their conviction. They put feet to their faith. They didn't just sit there staring at this wonderful thing that they saw in the sky. No, when they got their sign, they headed out. So I ask you this morning, are you a seeker or are you a sitter? Are you going to follow where the Lord leads, wherever and whenever he leads? I believe the Lord put this passage, this story in his word for our benefit. For whatever reason, Matthew was the only one who included it. But he did so for a reason. Just like those wise men, those magi of old, we still need to be, need to be seeking the Lord Jesus in our lives. And we need to be willing to make the sacrifice to follow him wherever he might lead us, both individually and as a church body. So I ask you, are you willing to follow the Lord wherever he leads you this new year? Are we as a church willing to follow the Lord wherever he leads us in this new year? Are you a seeker of the newborn king like the Magi were? I think this is something we all need to be praying about individually and as a church body as we begin this new year of ministry together. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, as we look at this very familiar story and we see these, these magi who 
you led across far lands to come and worship your son, who was born as the king of the Jews. Lord, help us to be like them and to follow wherever you lead. Open our eyes to see you, Lord, where you are at work in our everyday lives each day and to join you there. Lord, may we as your church here be used of you to shine your light on this corner here in the lives of the people around us each and every day, Lord, so that we might be true witnesses for you. And may we present ourselves, Lord, to you and our gifts to you, whatever they may be, for you to use for your purposes and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.